0: At number four, the fourth most listened to podcast episode this year was with Dan Cox, who's recently set up his own recruitment business called Edison Search. Previous to that, he climbed the ranks of console partners um, and was actively involved in gaining shares and walking away from that business when they achieved an exit, a business event. In this episode, there's so much gold loads around day plans, loads around cracking into new markets. If you really want to learn from a high performer, a top biller, then you will love this episode. Give it a listen to, you will not regret it. The fourth most listened to episode this year was with Dan Cox, not surprised at all. Enjoy it and enjoy your Christmas break. Mm -hmm. The recruitment mentors community is now completely open for you to join. It's the meeting point for recruitment professionals who want to take their development and growth into their own hands. Whether you're starting out your career or five years into it, our mission is to empower you to accelerate your development with the most successful, collective, current, and responsive teachings from outside of your four walls. You can now join the community for just £39 per month by going directly to our website at recruitmentmentors.com. That's recruitmentmentors.com. Your new mentors are waiting to meet you. Welcome to the Recruitment Mentors podcast. My name is Hisham Azuz. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Daniel Cox, who until very recently was a director at Console Partners. Dan joins Console Partners as a trainee consultant and within 10 years progressed through the ranks, working as a principal head of division until he left Console Partners, was the director of communications. When Dan joined the business, it was a progressive startup, and by the, t- by the time he left, he'd been part of the incredible growth journey that led the company to get acquired by Empresario Group in 2017. Dan, thanks for coming on the podcast.
1: No worries, yes, good to be on.
0: So, where we would like to start, in your opinion, what characteristics and traits do you think make up a highly successful recruitment consultant?
1: I suppose that's a, the magic, the magic question, isn't it? You know, from that side. So, um, I think the key characteristics that I see over the years is somebody having a why, and, and I know that may might sound a little bit different, but um, the job. You know, it's fun, like, don't get me wrong, but it's also very, very hard at times, you know, it's an emotional roller coaster. Um, and you know, from my point of view, people have got to, you know, when you're getting up at, at seven in the morning or working till eight, nine o'clock at night and do and having to do weekend work, whatever it is to, to to support your clients and candidates at times. Um, when the chips are down, you've got to be able to fall back on something and understand what what am I actually doing this for? You know, that's not It could be anything, you know, and and from my side, I'll talk about my why in a little bit more detail later, but I think that's so, so important. You know, I see so many people that come into the business uh, and businesses that speak to to other leaders and they're like, I don't really know why they're joining recruitment, you know, and what what do they want to achieve out of it? And I think that's really, really important um, from that side. So it doesn't have to be financial. It could be um, an array of things, but it's really important that firstly, um, outside of main characteristics that we can discuss, it is really understanding what your why is. You know, why am I doing it? Mm. Uh, Love that. And then, and then I suppose on on the other thing, you know, hard working, um, determined, um and focused on on hitting goals. You know, I think they're the key ones, but the key one for me is you know, really understanding what 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 you are doing why you're doing it.
0: Yeah. Uh, Love that. I'm, and and really quickly. <laughs> Because I know we were talking a bit before this and you said, yeah, Yeah. literally had a couple of days after you graduated uni and then joined, yeah, entered the recruitment industry. But I think people were interested about this. So very quickly then,
1: like, did your
0: why change throughout your career? Uh,
1: No, to to be brutally honest, my my why was – you know, I was broke, like from my side. Like most students from that side, I was. You know, um, I was thinking of going back into the into the building trade before I took the interview with console Partners. I was a scaffolder before I went to university, took a year out and done that, and it was amazing. But I think the cold uh, the cold mornings definitely made me realise, right, what do I want to do? You know, and that's that's really important. And um, that for me resonates really well in regards to what my why is. You know. On the Friday, I, I finished university on the Friday, and um, you know I got the nod a couple of week weeks before in 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 recruitment and they and, and console. And they said, "Can you start on the Monday?" And I was like, "Yeah, let's do it. Let's go for it." You know, I didn't overthink it. I think that us just go for it. Um, I needed the money, like I mentioned before. I was, uh, I, was I was in the red, in, in, like most students from that side. So I think yeah, from my point of view, that was that was key. Yeah.
0: Okay. So just very quickly then, could you describe the what the what console partners looked like when you joined? Yeah. Right, which was yeah, just just under ten years ago. Yeah. To and then just very quickly describe what it looked like by the time you left. And then I think that'll be great context for people to understand the journey it's been on. Then we'll we'll dig into the sort of early days and then um, talk about the rest of it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So walk through the doors there was probably I think it was about 16 people um if that there was there was three main divisions at the time so sort of like content communications and, and digital um Ryan Adams at the Signify CEO was uh, was there at the time so great character um you know straight away gravitated towards his his um his mindset and um it was literally focusing on um small teams you know that was literally it there was you know like I said 16 17 people there my team that I joined, there was only two people, like the, the the manager at the time and um, another guy that actually um, got me the interview at console. I, saw, I met him down the gym one night and he said, you know, uh, uh, we're hiring because uh, I said I was interviewing at another place. So, um, yeah, so I had two interviews that day. So, but yeah, it's a very, very small business. When I left the business uh, earlier this year, it was... Uh, 80 people, uh, global offices in the US, uh, two in the US and and, and one in, in UK, London. Uh, the team size was around, I think it was around 45 people in, in my division still. Um, and then in, in the permanent side as well, very, very similar numbers. So, yeah, it went through a crazy amount of growth in, in a, a fairly short amount of time. Um, and I'll be grateful for that forever, you know, hit it, sort of starting a business, a fairly new, fresh startup business. Um, Mark and Graham, and, and at the times that were running the business, they they were very aggressive in, in where they wanted to go, and they always had their vision. So, yeah, the vision never changed, but um, it was a lot smaller back then to where it is today.
0: Yeah, I love that. I mean, one of, one of my first questions was because I think um, I, I don't know how many sort of other recruitment business owners that you've spoken to and stuff like that, but like I think a typical recruitment story or dream is that you build up a recruitment business and sell it right mm. and and like how how often does that actually happen i'm not actually sure from speaking mm. to people on on this podcast and things like that so i guess yeah my first sort of question you were just touching on it was like why do you think sort of console partners were able to achieve what they did do you think from from your lens and looking at it from from your point of view great question
1: i think console always seemed to be one step ahead with the markets so what I mean by that is that we you know uh, Mark at the time and and Graham and and the leadership team um, were always looking at like what was next what was our clients what was our customers focusing on in the next two years not what they already were doing it was like what's next for example so and they built their their business models around that and I think that it was very effective very early on because clients um, we would be talking to clients about technology that they were investing in um, and we would be ready with with ready-made candidates, candidates that either upskilled themselves in that place. So I think markets were key. I think, you know, they they were very futuristic in, in regards to focusing on what's next for the clients and customers. Um, the technology was, was um, and still is today, is, is a great area, you know, and it's always going to be a, a need and a focus for clients and, and candidates. So um you know as we all know with the tech space um, there's it's just it's just crazy what's going on and what's being focused on and, and how and the evolution of what's going on in the next few years so yeah so I think that's the key one the markets the people you know that was probably the, the best thing about the business uh, ever since there were some amazing people that worked and still work at that business um and from very early on um that bar was set very very high you know, I used to talk to um, friends in, in in the industry and sort of talking to them about some of the numbers that um, we were doing and and on as a business um, at a time just a UK business. Not we didn't have US entities back then. Um, and some of they were saying, "Blimey, we've you know we've got three offices and it's and we're not doing that." You know, and then also individual um, numbers. You know, were were well above average. You know, average is anything between. Sort of my, my average is slightly higher, but I would say. If you're doing sort of 150 a year, that seems to be fairly good in, in, in the market. You know, there was individuals in, in that market and, in at, you know, from when I joined that were doing three times that, four times that, you know, with two years, three years experience. And that was because certain individuals had the right mindset. Um, it was a competitive um, working environment, but collaborative, which I think is, ma- like, which is so important um, for culture um, yeah. And I think the people and the markets, I mean, there's nothing else. There's no magic answer apart from really those two. I think they, you know, the owner's done amazing to, to keep hold of, um, some really good people.
0: Yeah. So, so, so I've got two very quick questions on this and then I'm, I'm excited yep. to dig into the sort of the period where you were just focusing on billing for that sort of four sure. or five year period. So, so the first one is, uh, people maybe listen to this and sort of may want you to sort of share, I guess a bit more context on okay Dan re- really great point and interesting point around emerging markets or market like future being futuristic so I guess my question to you on that was like I don't know one to three things that you think typically um they looked for that would that would give them confidence that it was a market that they wanted to invest resources in Do you get what I mean I think that's what people would yeah. be interested in so I don't know anything that comes up for you on that
1: yeah of course so you know one thing we were big on is is like market intel so understanding like where we were starting to see trends so um very early on i was told to develop like like you know i've still got it um it today is basically like from 24 you know, or five years ago is like the market intel and looking at trends in that market intel so looking at like what candidates are talking about where maybe people are saying where where jobs are going to be what, what's the focus um and also what your clients are saying, you know, what what is next for them, what where are they next investing? Um, and then you'll start seeing a repetition, you'll start seeing technology sort of start coming up and 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 from that side. And just to keep it really simple, is it's a natural progression, you know, 3G is now 4, 4 five G now, you know, and that's what I mean, and, and looking at that, those trends in, in those markets to to understand really where you position yourself. Um, I think that's really important. And then um, looking at like the amount of leads. So like I'm not talking about Intel. I'm talking about actual leads that are coming through candidates, clients, whatever it is that, however, whatever your way of doing things is, everyone has a slightly different way of doing things. But um, looking at leads and, and, and really understanding what the market's saying. Um, and then you can make a real, uh, real, I suppose, collective decision with your manager or whatever it is at the time that like this and this, the market's telling me that this is going to be big you know this is a real focus this is going to be a high skill demand um and then you're not going into it really you know it's sort finger in the in the air sort of thing you've really got an understanding and you can have real conversations with new prospective clients you know and i think that's where that value add comes in you can actually take that conversation to the next level rather than just saying i've seen you're looking for x i've got y it's that's you know yes that's effective in some ways but clients now are looking for or well, even then you know maybe ten years ago they were looking for some something slightly different and yeah that's how I managed to to break some some interesting clients back then that, that um you know that helped me to to, to move forward yeah no that that's great and I think what I love about
0: that is that for anyone listening just it's just so important to have sort of holistic business conversations right and if you're asking good questions like yeah where do you see the market in the next couple of years or like just being curious and asking questions like that, you're you're then not talking about recruitment. And yep. if you have multiple conversations with people like that day in, day out, well, guess what? You're you've got an amazing insight there. Where then when someone doesn't sort of doesn't speak about the same thing, you can go, Well, actually, I've been speaking to these people and they're sort of thinking about this. What do you think about that? And all of a sudden, as yep. you said, you're you're adding value in these things. So great answer on that. And then the final bit, you were talking about the people part. So just a final thing that I just wanted to ask you because I'm we're always interested is basically what what do you think were the like the three non-negotiables of the console culture?
1: Um apart from playing five aside, no, I'm joking. That was that we used to five five aside team. No, um non-negotiables. I think work ethic. Like if you if you wasn't a hard worker, um, you you would be shown up because like any any agency you you know um there are objectives and you know you share your successes at the end of the week you know that that was that was a a a massive thing for console we would talk about all the successes and if there was anyone having a a challenge we'd talk about that as a business um of course when we were a lot smaller and we'd all help each other out and give advice but work if it's key if you know you would be um you know definitely exposed it because everyone was was really focused and honing in on trying to trying to better their market better their self um, and trying to push to that common goal to 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 take the business to the next level so the first one's definitely work ethic um second one is being a good person I know I know that sounds a bit cliche but um you've got to be a good person right you know you've got to be approachable in 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 the face you can't let success you know get go to your head a little bit you know the, the recruitment I call it the recruitment gods like Recruitment has a funny <laughs> way of bringing you back down to earth pretty quickly, um, and if you lose track um, of really like what your why is um, and what what, you know, what you're doing here, and also focusing on helping other people out as well, because you you were junior at one point, right? You know you 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 were asking other people for help, and I remember this time when I was like you know four years in or three years in, I think it was, and um, I missed directors' lunch for the first time in, in I don't know twenty two months or something like that. We used to do it every single month. And I went over and I missed director's lunch by 1,800 pounds. And uh, I went over and asked um, one of the directors at the time. I said, like, I don't believe I didn't hit it. What could I have done to, to to do better? You know, and that's not because I wanted to look good in front of the directors. It was really, like, I must be missing a trick here because I was doing something before that I'm not, I didn't do this month and it's affected my numbers, right? And it was like, I think I finished on, uh, after, like I said, 20 1,500-pound uh, sure some people would have been really happy with that and said, Oh, you know what? I've, I've, I've still hit well, I've over- achieved my target for the month. But that just wasn't, um, where I wanted to be. It's not why I joined recruitment. That wasn't what I wanted to do. You know, I didn't want to be average as such. And then I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with that, but what I'm trying to say is my why is, is, is about providing for my family, which is the number one priority and and being a good person in, in that stage. So I was combining all of that and, and, um, Providing for my family or my on my uh now wife but girlfriend at the time it was expensive taste I didn't want to take a step back but just little things like that is that even at that time when things are still going well, just take a step back and think well, what could I have done better because there's there's all there's always someone out there that is performing doing better, doing more things more innovative ideas, different ideas that can generate more business and better relationships, so yeah.
0: Yeah. Nice. Okay. Work ethic. big, big, Yeah. Okay. Nice. So let, let's let dig into this then. So just for context down for people listening. Yes. So you've, you've always been a contract recruiter. So for the first, yes. yeah, four, four to five years when you were just focused on billing before you went into a more leadership position, you was a contract recruiter. Um, and I know you said it was market specific, but that with the markets that you did, that typically meant that what locations did you end up sort of doing business in just for context for people?
1: Yeah, most of it was um, sort of the Nordics and, and sort of Germany and, and Belgium and, and Ireland. They were the main sort of sweet spots for for where projects were at that time um, in, in regards to sort of my focus areas.
0: Cool. So let, always interested to hear... I know you said yeah. the standards were high and there was people doing really well there. But how, how would you describe sort of Dan's first year, early years in recruitment?
1: Well, funny you say that. I, I, I think I nearly got booted after the first four weeks. Um, my manager at the time told me that. So it's, um, you know, I come in into the job um, with, with lots of um, enthusiasm, um, a bit of a yes man a bit of a, you know, naturally we all go through that. Your manager's giving you advice. Have you got that? Yeah, 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 yeah. All good. Yeah, I know what I'm doing. The first couple of weeks, I used to sit on the phone and like cower a little bit because I didn't want other people. I thought that people were listening to my phone calls. I don't know why, because nobody was, you know. It's like, you know, they've got their own stuff to be dealing with, but it was just I've never been in in that type of environment in an office before. So um, the first month I struggled. I didn't do my first resourcing deal for... I think it was eight weeks or something like that so um so yeah and then after that it just clicked like I kept going I kept getting up now, earlier I was in the in the office um about quarter to eight uh, half seven quarter to eight most mornings because I worked European time so I knew that I'd normally catch candidates at an earlier stage rather than you know mid-morning when they're in meetings um when they were in the office at the time when, when things were normal but um yeah and then um from that stage, yeah. So then it just clicked, and, and and I suppose the answer was, is I started to get a grasp on on what I was recruiting for. Um, I started picking up what is how to actually recruit. You know, getting effective with uh, Boolean searches and headhunting, um, and really sort of starting to ramp up speaking to clients. So um, so yeah, I used to drive my my old manager mad at the times um, because within like eight weeks. I, was always, I always had quite a natural flair for for business development not that I knew it at the times um, and I don't, don't say I wasn't good at it at first but I just I was quite keen to get on with business development because I felt that that's where I needed to be and the business needed that at that time to be honest and um, yeah so then I moved into a, I suppose a junior sales job or junior consultant job um, in about September time so I, I had about 10 weeks of of recruiting um my manager's jobs at the times. And then it was sort of like, you need we we'll would go out and build a business now based on demand and where we see the markets going.
0: Amazing. So let so let's just talk about that for a second. Cause I was gonna ask sure. you, yeah, when did you then yeah, go into more of a 360 role? So look, I I was a permanent recruiter, but from from the contract recruiters that I've interviewed and, and met, obviously you still have to do the candidate work and it's really important. You know, your network and spend time with them. However, sure. yeah, if you, it's it, you need to get the projects or you need to get the businesses and understand what they're hiring and all these types of things, it seems like, yeah, if you can get, if you can get very good at winning business, then you back yourself to, to, to do the candidate part. Right. But that's something you've always got to be constantly building in terms of your, your candidate pools, but it mm-hmm. seems like the key is the the bd side and, and the client side if, if you're going to be really successful
1: oh well I'd, I'd argue that now to be fair because the 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 way that the, everything's moving ahead um you know there's there's some really good 180 pillars, you know like sales and, and 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 candidates for example is like you know you need both sides you know you just part of the job isn't it yeah. you, know, you need both sides on that so at that particular time I had to go out and sell. There wasn't really another option because we were building the business and this. Well, we say we were building the division from fairly scratch. There was there were buying customers, but there wasn't really enough to focus on delivering at that point. So it was more that I I was in a position that I wanted to do, and also I, I really wanted to um to to get out there and build a business for myself because it comes back to my wire, you know, from that side. So I think there's a there's both aspects to it. I think I've met some incredible people that have um, a 180 model that um, are so much better than, than certain salespeople at, at candidate relationships. And that's so prevalent now because um, those candidates will move into senior roles. You know, they will progress just like I did with console, just like you did. You naturally progress. So if you can build up good tangible relationships early on and keep in touch with them, add value, try and find them newer positions, um, they're naturally at some point going to be in a hiring, managing position, you know, and that's where that relationship piece is so key. Um, so yeah, I would argue that you know it's it's so both important to have that 360 element. Is if you, you know you can bring in jobs, but if you can't find the right candidates or you haven't got the good enough relationships, well, you're not going to you're not going to do deals,
0: you know. And that's the, yeah, that's no, the, no, behind sure.
1: It, so. So, no, yeah, sure. It's, no. It's, I'm, I'm glad you
0: said that. that. Yeah, de- definitely. Okay, cool. So I guess, but but I'll be honest with you, where where, and it's something that I definitely struggled with early on. And what every time I speak to recruiters, that the most popular area that they want to develop and improve is client development. That that that's just like typically what the response won't be for everyone, but typically that's where a lot of recruiters want to improve. Yeah, um, which is why I wanted to sort of ask you around your sort of client development journey, really. So I guess, like sure. you just said, you're building this from scratch. Like what? looking back and, and maybe you can speak to recent times as well when working with your your team and people but like mm. what what ended up being your most effective method of growing your client network
1: um delivering you know like i said it's a 460 so you know most of my clients at that time um were, were were either system integrators at the time so they were winning part of the project from a vendor an operator and that side so they they were they were, you know, from their side so needed needed candidates quickly, but there was also a lot of people that were in that market in regards to what they were focusing on. But you had to have your product, and that is is candidates from that side. So, you know, my first deal I remember it now was um, I run this hiring manager up, um, and you know, great guy. I still speak to him um, today, and he said to me, "Listen, I've, I've got I've got an offer on a candidate. I love you know I really appreciate your time." Um, Uh, I'm going to get the offer out tomorrow. And, you know, I had four months experience, uh, probably my naivety at the times. But I said to him, "Right, why don't you just give me tonight, if I can find you someone that's better than you've got offered um, at the moment, would you would you uh, be open to reviewing that profile? And he said, if you can find me someone better than that, then I'll shake your hand because this guy that I've got at the moment is amazing. I don't know what to do next so i literally five o'clock in the evening um got, i've got on the um I, you know, i've reached out to my network and, and system and stuff like that and uh luck luck be have it this, this incredible um candidate said to me yeah i am actually interested in looking not sure on the location um need some time to, to think about it so i said okay cool well, well do some research tonight sent him a load of bump. I was in the office till, till late that night and I gave him. I said, are "You free for a call uh, in the morning, first thing." And he said, "Yeah, yeah, no worries." And there, uh, he spoke to um, his partner and said, "Yeah, listen, let's go for this. You know, um, I'm looking to get into to more uh, into freelancing now, contracting. Sent the profile over, and the manager responded within two minutes. saying, I 'I don't know how you've done that, but I want to interview this guy. He's got product knowledge that we haven't seen. This other guy hasn't got it.' And they interviewed him that day and offered him that evening. <laughs> Just it was it was crazy, but." That's, again, like having – it was definitely naivety from my side, but also, you know, just asking the question. A lot of people just don't ask the question, you know, and 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 backing yourself a little bit. And um, it, might, it might have uh, come back to, to bite me. But fortunately, um, I, the candidate I've placed numerous times throughout the year as, years as well, and he's, he's actually a good friend of mine now as well. So, you know, it all works out in the end, but sometimes just ask the question on that side for sure. But, yeah
0: so so building on that then so you said sort of just delivering there and backing yourself but like uh, i guess a big part um of what recruits need to do is is maintaining and sort of keeping a consistent pipeline yeah, so yeah. how um, how did you how did you continue to achieve that
1: i suppose firstly the obvious is bringing in business constantly like you know it was natural um at that period, like if I had and uh, you know knowing your ratios is was key, knowing your numbers, what you need to do to hit X, you know and Y, and um, at any given time I'd be juggling. When I was three sixty, for example, between eight and twelve vacancies a week, you know that was naturally, and um, that was accounts that I'd built up and and, and built a relationship with, and that was warm, and that's also new new areas that I wanted to bring in new clients, so consistently looking at your customer base and if you know reviewing that on a monthly basis if you've got a customer if you've only got one or two a customers and you've got a lot of c b or c customers what do you need to do to get those to a customers so so what i mean by a customers is that are they buying from you monthly are they, are they do they have jobs is it um are they the decision makers loads of different areas and just keep reviewing your business because customers that i might have worked with in january could have been on my D list by by I know, March or April because they've maybe not been hiring or they weren't the right quality. And I think timing, your time is so, so precious on that side. So really understanding, you know, are your clients buying? Do they do they really value what you're doing? And can you deliver? You know, there's no point working jobs that you don't really know what you're talking about because, you know, that's that, you know, they you're gonna you're gonna lose a the relationship there that from that side.
0: Okay, so so let's just talk about time quickly, because this is something that a lot of people, like you, just said you were juggling a lot of things there, right? Yeah. Um, and I think as recruiters, that that's something that you have to just try and improve at consistently. Yeah. Um, so I guess from a sort of fr- from you sort of becoming a um successful contract biller, I guess people want to know like how you how you run your day to get the most out of it. So you're talking about it there, like your yeah. your time is really precious, which is where there's yeah question comes from and why why people want to know it so like from from your journey like what again what became your sort of typical day or what did you do day in day out to make sure that you maximized your time
1: sure so the first thing i'd say is the best recruiters permanent contract doesn't matter where who you know what markets you're focusing on keep it simple like they don't over complicate it and you know um the amount of times that I've when I was mentoring or when I was managing and leading um, the division, is that people were overcomplicating it all the times. And really, you've just got to have a real like a checklist every day, every single day before you go. Is like, what do you want to achieve from that day? So it could be you know, follow ups, first markets, calls, leads to chase, whatever it is. But having a real understanding of like, what do I need to get my business to, to what does my business need tomorrow? So you know, if you're focused on 180 how many more candidates do I need to get at interview stage to put myself in a position to hit my target this month? And if you're more business development focus is, how many more vacancies or how many new customers do I need to develop and bring in so that I can hit my target on that side? So that's the two fundamentals, right? And what sits underneath that is all of the stuff that we've already spoke about, whether it's, you know, how do you build a business? Well, you know, that's, that's or how do you build, how do you get candidates? You know, it's building relationships and, on the, and speaking, speaking to them. So Keeping it simple, so I and, know, and, and like I said, it's it's so important because I've worked with some really, really intelligent people, so so intelligent people, and the amount of times I've gone into a meeting and said, like, where, where's your, where is your day plan? Like, where is what do you want to achieve today? You know, what does your business need? And they can't answer it because they're just it's just so on top of them. And once you take it back and you simplify what it is your business needs or what it is whatever you know business business requirements from that side then you can make a checklist and then you can really have a tangible conversation with your manager and say listen my business ain't needing this any good manager will will challenge you um, and hopefully point you in a direction but also you both agree that that is the right way to go but also more importantly is that I, I was coming up with the answers you know I wasn't going to my manager and going. Oh, I've got this problem I don't know what to do it's like going away and thinking about it so simplifying it having a strict process in regards to what you're focusing on for your day and the only time you should move away from that day plan or process is that you've got a client or an interview that's fallen through and you need to get back to, to focusing on supplying that candidate but or supplying that vacancy at that time but but yeah it's, it's, it's I know it I know it, it sounds easier said than done don't get me wrong because everyone knows that but it's just simplifying everything that you do and just having a good checklist of what you want to achieve and what your business needs
0: amazing and and P- uh, look i'm asking this because people want to know yeah sure like what so at the at the height of uh, the height of when you were doing really well like i'm sure yeah. you know it because it's rinse and repeat but like what just taught me through like a a typical day plan for sure. dan like because yeah, so- people want to know it
1: First thing in the morning would be going through um, any responses um, from adverts or LinkedIn responses that I would have sent out the night before in regards to focus it uh, for the jobs that I've got live. Uh, next one would be then business development calls, like straight straight into it um with an available. Watch, let, wait,
0: let's just let's just, let's add times. Sorry, let's just add times. Just, yeah, just it'll just, just make it really clear. Because people people love this, mate. People want to know. So yeah, where, sure. what time to so start responses? What time do you get in and then what time do you uh, dedicate in, to responses? Yeah about
1: eight o'clock in the morning between quarter to eight and eight o'clock in the morning. Um straight away looking through to be honest, I used to do a lot of that on my phone. So when I was when I was traveling in my travel journey was about 40 minutes. So I'd be Looking at responses, making notes, sending emails to myself for reminders, um, and calendar invites for, for myself to focus on when I get in. And then I walk through the door, uh, breakfast, and then and then straight into it. I would have a, a list of clients or prospects that I want to speak to. Once I've gone through, like I said, the initial uh, candidates, etc. I would then be on the phone at quarter to uh, half eight, quarter to nine, at the very latest, speaking to um. To clients and pitching in leads, reverse markets, what, what, whatever leads I've got to follow up from. That would normally take me. Well, it would take me as long, long as I needed. You know, um, if if I needed business, I'd do it all day. That that would be it. I'd be doing it all day, and that wouldn't be just calling clients. That would be calling candidates, asking well what are they up to. Clients that I've got relationships. New candidates that I'm focusing on because I needed vacancies. So the best way to do that is to talk is to reach out to people and understand that um if i had vacancies in the afternoon that i'd work on i'd then from two till um like two till five be focusing on supplying those those vacancies like you know and then getting leads market intel anything that i need for the morning or the evening, whatever it is having that ready to go and then at five o'clock um at any administration reverse markets go out the door day plan um, and that's it. And then go again. And then, of course, the next day I might have four urgent vacancies. Business development um, would be less. I'd only do sort of an hour or, hour or two hours just to follow up my leads to keep, keep it ticking over and then focus on um, supporting candidates. But every single day was business development, whether I was talking to candidates or clients. And I think that's where some people get it wrong is that, you know, whether you're 180 or whether you're 360, it's so important that you're still retaining information from people and you're either giving that to the relevant people in your business that are more focused on sales or you make a note and you action it later on down the line, whether that's later in the day or, or the next, or, or the following um, following day. But so, so important. It doesn't matter what level you are, whether you're one day in or 10 years in, you should be business developing every single day of the week, uh, whatever level you are.
0: Yeah, nice, no, great. I think you you yeah, it's I've had a guy on here called Nick Carmen before and he the way he coins it is like, yeah, always be open for business instead yeah. of like putting the sort of blinders on between 10 and 12, you're just doing business development and then when you're doing 2 to 5 candidates, like you've got again the blinders on and you're just focusing on their reasons for leaving rather than asking about the projects they have on and like it's stuff like that, right? So Yeah. I love that. So just just really thanks for sharing that because cause uh-huh. that's what people want to Right, so I guess what um, before we move on to the the sort of um, the sort of uh, non billing journey that you yeah. went on re- really quickly because Pete this just helps with like how you went on your journey. So what what, what ended up being your best year billings wise as a contract recruiter? Uh,
1: billings year was about it was just under eight hundred. Um, so it's was about was seven, your best year? Yeah, best year. It's about seven sixty five something like that. I think that was twenty fifteen. Um, so the year okay. year before I went non-billing,
0: and then and then just and then this ties into the question, but and then I don't know the sort of years leading up to that. What did yeah. the sort of performance look like?
1: Um, so over that period, so the first, so like I said, June to um, December was like my first half. I suppose like three months of that, I done. I think it was like three or four deals um, in that period. Most of those were December um so that was like of course 2011 but that gave me that confidence and that momentum coming into 2012 uh, first year was about 275 um that was from a, a fairly standing start the clients that i worked in december actually didn't have much repeat business so that was sort of new new projects um and then second year was um funny enough me and ryan adams at the time were going toe to toe to like he remember that story as well i uh, in in, a, i think it was january february i um i was talking to a client that was uh, at the time gonna be uh, bigger big, uh, a big project that needed a number of people and um i had a good candidate base and i uh, supplied a number of candidates and, and, and in like february i think i've done 104k um which wow. was like so i sort of set it out pretty early on which i'm really proud of you know from that side yeah that was sort of breaking records in, in regards to what the business knew and um I suppose putting that bar to the next level, you know, um, from that side. But still, staying very grounded. You know, I, w- I wanted to be top Um, That's what I looked at from day one. Um, you know, Ryan was keen to get that top biller status as well. So, and I'll say it on the record, he picked me on the last day by about three k. But we went toe to toe right to the end, and um, so that was good. And then that set me up. And then the year after, um, it was about six ninety five. So actually, I, did, I had my best year was 2012 to 2013 i added about 300k to my business and then 2014 was i done 690 um which was about another 125 from the year before and then like i said in 2015 was seven mid set mid 700 so um but yeah so it was a really good natural progression forward um but yeah no it was, it was good fun good fun
0: no thank you for sharing that and and the re- the reason why I ask isn't isn't to try and sort of get you to show off your numbers but the most popular question I get is like if you and I'm sure you've had this with your guys now when we talk about the non billion piece but like recruiters want to know how to how to take it up a notch right because yeah. a lot of recruiters may look at the end of the year it's like wow I've had a good year last yeah. year I did one hundred fifty k just did two hundred k but a lot of people may think right how the hell am I gonna squeeze like how am I gonna get more out of what what i currently have to get what i mean sure. um yeah so, so i guess just the final thing on this is like looking back at that and you can sort of reference maybe things that you see with people that you've helped and stuff like that but the most common thing people do know is like what what do you think were the sort of main one to two things that you did differently maybe you didn't do anything differently but like what were the sort of core things that you really doubled down on that you really felt meant that you was able to continue increasing your performance and yeah, grow that to to nearly eight hundred, hundred K billions. Like what what did you really double down on that you really felt enabled you to achieve that?
1: I think the first thing is I didn't overcomplicate it. You know, I, I really from that side I, I knew what I wanted to do. I set I set a goal out at the start of the year and I wanted I had to hit it. There was no there was no other way um, because of where I want to be in my life and what, what I want to achieve. There wasn't room for well, you know. I've had a good year. That's just not not in my makeup, in my DNA, um, to to be on that side. And and that's just me as a person. You know, I'm, I'm either all in or all out. You know, and if I'm all in, I'm going to put it at the start of the year that listen, I need to hit that that goal. So whether or not I had fifty percent to do that in in three months or or ten percent over that, I had to hit that goal. Anything over that was was an achievement in my eyes. Anything if I hit that that was where i needed to be that wasn't an achievement in my eyes you know i I'd, I'd hit what i needed to hit but overachieving that that was when then i thought you know what yeah it was a good year you know i take that on board So having higher expectations of yourself not looking at anyone else you know of course you've got i had great peers around me that we we would work together on 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 different elements to it but compete with yourself that's the key thing look at yourself and think right what can i do can i can i push myself can i get better at Converting leads, um, can I get better at my ratio in regards to interviews? Whatever it is, and if you just look at yourself, you don't overcomplicate because you're not really, you know, great. You know, someone's done a forty k that's going to drive you on, but you, you're competing with yourself on that side in 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 your own way. Of course, recruitment have lead tables and stuff like that, but um, w- you know, naturally, when you see people get to the top, um, they can they can drop off. I've seen it. People will drop off because they've got no one to compete to. But if you're competing hmm. against yourself, then, you know, you can just keep progression. And I know it sounds simple, but it's like literally just pushing yourself all the time um, and relating back to your goals. Like one of the best billers recently, um, who's still at Console now, he has his goals. He writes his goals out every single day. Every single day without doubt, he has his goals set out what he wants to achieve. He's not really focused on what other people are doing. And I think that's such an important trait, Um in any sales environment, not just no, recruitment, anything and yeah, not just sales in life, you know, st- you know, focus on what you can do, you know, and, and, and achieve where, yeah. where you can focus on and control.
0: Okay. Final thing. Again, people want to know the answer to this. I think yeah. a lot of people want to know this sort of secret source, but yeah, or like this sort of gold, golden, golden bullet, but obviously it, it doesn't exist. It's a multiple things, but like people want to know, you spoke about keeping it simple and, and these things. So what do you think is the, the most important action or KPI that, that contributes to a recruited success?
1: Well, deals. Right. (laughs) You know, like it's, it's, it's this, you know, again, keeping it simple. Like if, if, you know, you as a sales individual, like sales, I'm talking collectively, you know, any, any element within a sales environment, you are, you know, you're, Commission is based on sales. Progression is 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 eighty to ninety percent based on sales in in a sales environment. So, I suppose the first one again, you, you can look at interviews. But how many deals have I done, or what? How many deals have you done? You know, that's the first thing. Is that that naturally, of course, from a agency point of view, is that that you can judge on your success. Um, from that side and i don't know if that's the answer you wanted to but again it's simple it's you know
0: it deals from that side it's i think i think it's it's the bit before that right so i guess it's the bit where you're talking about keeping it simple so i guess people want to know like going into a brand new month it's like right if i know if i get i don't know if i know if i have x meaningful conversations with potential clients i should hit my number or yeah I don't know if i if i get x number of in like x number of interviews first stage interviews i know i'm yeah. confident it's just people want to yeah, know yeah, like think, where to really double down on the action
1: yeah i think the the taking one step back of course is you know any successful um individual within a recruiting recruiting space will know will know their numbers like what what are their sweet spots and if you don't know their sweet spots and that's really important that you talk to your manager or your director and and you carve that out together and you really understand what, what is... What, what, are what, it, what are your sweet numbers? It changes, right? Because you're hoping that they they decrease over a while because you get more effective, right? Because your clients get more effective. But you know, when I started, for example, I was averaging, um, and my, my way of doing it, I wasn't very good on uh, with emails and reverse market. I, I enjoyed phone interactions or like, a face. so I was doing anything between three and four. Three and four and a half hours a day on the phone. You know, like naturally, that's right. where, where I needed to be. Some of them were pointless conversations. They probably could say I could definitely be more focused on on uh, um, on that area. But for me, that's what worked. You know, that what, you know that for me, that's what got me to where I needed to be. But you know, for for example, um, naturally, five vacancies a week, fifteen to sixteen submissions a week, um, and eight interviews. If I got that, I would be on to four or five contract deals a month. you know? And people would say, and this was going back to sort of 2012, 2013, you know, and maybe I could reduce that. But that's where you would look at it you, with your manager, and um, uh, they were really big on that console, is what can you tweak, what can you do? So those are the types of ratios, you know, two to one ratio in anything you're trying to do.
0: Yeah, no, thank you for sharing that. So right. let's, um, con- conscious of time, but let- let's get into sort of towards the tail end because I think this is what also I know we have focused a lot on recruiting but a lot of recruiters listen to this and I yeah. think what you shared is, is really interesting for people so I guess like why didn't would you mind just sort of sharing I guess look what we wanted to go over when we spoke about this was like one how you how you felt like you got the opportunity presented to you to get sort of equity shares in a recruitment business yeah, yeah. um so let's talk a bit about this before we finish, because I think most aspirational recruitment recruiters that listen to this will even maybe one day think about potentially starting their own recruitment business, or yeah. typically it's they want to be a director in the company they work for and maybe sort of get the opportunity to own part of that company or etc. Yeah. So let's just start there. So one, like, why don't we talk about why do you think Dan Cox was able to get the opportunity to get offered equity shares in this recruitment business? rather than your peers? Because as you said, super competitive landscape. Yeah. There's great people in there. Why, why was you able to do that firstly?
1: Um, I get, I'll get Graham and Mark on the phone, see if they can. <laughs> <it there. laughs> um, no, I think they were very good in regards to where, um, like looking after top performers and, and, and trying to, I suppose, lock them in, you know, towards the company vision and the company goal that wasn't without saying that I asked a question you know again like I mentioned earlier on about when I'd done my first deal I, I, I sort of uh, I knocked on the door one day and um, I said what what opportunities are you within the business but again I'd never worked in, in a company like, you know recruitment company before so you know naively going into there and saying "What what is the opportunity to be part of this journey more longer term you know and, and that side so they went away and, and talk about a few things so a lot of it was down when, to When did you do that? Uh, um, probably around 2015, 2015 time. I picked my time right because I was I was I was still in good numbers. Um, you know I, I think that you'd, you'd have a tougher conversation if you weren't performing and you went in and asked for shares for your company. So you have to get the timing right. Um, but yeah, around that time, and and for me, I wanted to be more part of the part of the uh, business and the opportunity. I I really I love that business still today. Um, and for me, I wanted to be part of it, you know. And, and however that looked, whatever that looked, that was down to the owners at the time to 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 keep that focused. And also probably on their side, they 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 were aware of, I suppose, how you know where I want to be in my life at some point. You know what what I want to achieve um, in in the recruiting industry. You know, and then that's really important that you know they maybe saw that. So you know, from that time, timing was key asking the question again that you've got to be speaking to your to your managers uh apologies to any managers that might be getting bombarded by recruiters next week but it's really important that you you know as a business you want to understand what opportunities are on the table you know to be part of that uh, um that, that growth model um from that side so yeah, yeah so yeah. that's that's really important
0: yeah no i'm glad you like honestly this keeps coming up time and time again like if you're listening to this and and you have leverage right and not not you don't have like you're you're someone that you think can add a lot of value to the to the business you work for long term you really enjoy working there you're bought into what it's about like ask the question like literally like why why, yeah so the worst case scenario is no not at this time or whatever but at least you're you're making them you're making people aware that's what you want right so when your sort of managers or business owners start thinking about right how how can we grow this business? How can we keep our best people? Oh, you know yeah. what? Dan actually reached out to me three months ago and said, "Look, if there's an opportunity to own part of this company, be part of it longer term. Like, count me in, or at least consider me." So, like, if you're listening to this and you haven't like, asked the question, like yeah, the worst sure. case scenario is not a bad thing. So, I'm glad you said that. But I guess the next thing that I wanted to ask you, Dan, was because I think sometimes recruiters when I've spoken to them, they can be a bit sort of blindsided by this or just don't have complete clarity on what it actually means, right? So mm. when we say you end up getting offered equity shares, like, could you just share sort of with people listening, like one, what does it actually mean? And two, like what sort of tip, I know it may be specific to your circumstances and what happened, but like, typically, you can talk about your experience, but like, tip, what what did that mean? And what sort of things had to sort of happen for you to really reap the rewards of, yeah. actually having equity shares in the business so I think not many people are completely clear on this
1: yeah absolutely so equity is actually having registered I suppose shares with with the organization so you you know you're part of the dividends payments on the profits for for the organization from that side and I think really important when I when I was first offered those it was a really proud moment for me because um, it felt like I was actually part of the vision and the business and I think that's so key in regards to natural progression. You know, it it gave it another another focus point. You know, I'm actually a shareholder of this multi million pound organisation. I need to be making sure that I am focusing on bringing the next level of staff through, and I suppose positioning myself that it can be achieved. Like you know, I'm not not nothing special from anyone else. You know, like I mentioned earlier, asking the question from that side to equity shares are a little bit tougher to get hold of, of course, because um, there's various constraints that you need to be aware of. There's EMI schemes as well. Um, the companies, and a lot of good companies now, are, are, are offering that out. And I think the way that you position it and you, and you talk to, you know, your your uh, managers or directors and saying, I'm really bought into the vision, you know, which you are, because you're, you're sitting there and you're working and you're succeeding. Um, but I want to understand the future growth of this business and, um, and understand if I can be part of it and there's it, it sounds like it could be a negative conversation sometimes but the amount of um like the positive response and I can only talk on my behalf but um the positive response I got from it was like I love it love it that you want to be part of our business you know and you're you're not thinking about anything else and they they were open arms about it and um and said yeah let's let's try and make this work we'll, we'll come back to you and that was it so you know, it was all around time on that side, but there are various ways that you can be part of the business, of course. And it does feel special. It is nice when you're part of the business. And, you know, if you have a good positive year and, and profits are high, of course, like any shareholder, if you can buy shares tomorrow in any company you get, you read the words of, of the of, of dividends and et cetera. But um, you just more importantly, I felt part of, of the of the story, you know, and, and that, that was really important to me at that time that um, where I wanted to be
0: yeah cool to so get that complete and that that's great thank you for sharing that so i guess so you've spoken about yeah being able to as an employee um you wouldn't get obviously access to the profits of the overall business right from dividends etc but sort of to really benefit from the equity piece and having equity shares like just just really simply what what was best case scenario so you guys ended up getting um acquired but like just for people listening so they can have a bit of an understanding of right so if i'm able to yeah try and uh, potentially have um yeah become a shareholder or get on some sort of scheme Mm. what what what's if you could just explain like just from your experience and what you went through what was the best case scenario what events had to happen for you to really benefit from becoming a shareholder
1: yeah i think i think it's a really good question um shares are in 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 a business, for example, outside of dividends and stuff like that and profitability, you know, shares are only really valuable if the company has a real focus and vision on um, being acquired one day, you know, because you could be a shareholder, but it, they're pretty outside of being part of the business and the vision. They're pretty, you know, pointless if if the company's not really got a, the management or the, the directors that own that place haven't got a focus on on, on, on selling you know, at some point acquiring and stuff like that. So again, you need to speak to, you know, either the owners or your manager and understand what is the vision plan, you know, like um, from that business um, so that you can support that focus. Um, but yeah, that, I, I suppose that that's the key bit is that, you know, really understanding what the, what the vision is for the business. Um, and then once you are acquired, what does that mean? You know, because of course, acquiring a business Normally means that they want to take that business to the next level. It doesn't mean are oh, they just going to cash out and, and leave. It's like what do they want to do next? They want to expand into six more countries globally. They want to they want to build out the U.S. market, whether that's contract or permanent. They want to become a global staffing provider. You know from from that side. So um, and sometimes the directors don't have experience in doing that. You know, and that's why they need to go to that that you know that next level up and saying listen for, for part of my business can you help us get to the next level so yeah that's a, that's a big driver of course with equity that you know if the company does go through a purchase then you know however small they are then you know their share those shares will be realized at some point
0: yeah no good thanks for yeah no thanks for going through that because i think sometimes people can sort of get confused by that and i think the, the other yeah. point to make which is again quite quite popular and common and we've had a couple of people go through this on the podcast is, is then the sort of management buyout route right where yeah again it's it's actually then the the way that the the original founders or owners of the company get out is by actually selling the company to over to people that have been there for a long time etc right yeah. so i think that, that what what sort of down sharing here with you all is that it's about asking the question it's about communicating it's about understanding where the business is going And if you ask those questions and they're willing to have those conversations, then, yeah, you can really actually understand what, yeah, things could actually mean and and what the positive outcomes could be. And, yeah, so thank you. So I've got – before I ask you sort of five final questions, I just want to ask you one thing. So what what advice would you give yourself um, to to Dan Cox, just entering the recruitment industry? So I I just want to know, from what you've been through, right, um, if you could – communicate and have a conversation with with dan cox who first day in recruitment after a couple of days graduating uni what what would you what would you say to yourself um
1: don't sweat the small things i think that they're massive like i used to let i used to let the smallest of things in my day affect me for you know a couple of hours you know and um i think that's massive you know at some point you've just gotta soak it up push on and it affect you you know that that you can't most of the time you can't change a certain outcome if, if that's where it is um but you can um you can change the end result and I think that's really important to understand you know yet a candidate for example might have dropped out or might have you know offer reject. you still got that vacancy or you still got that client and um go and find someone that that is focused on that so yeah definitely that one for sure uh don't switch. it's a good question because I'd, I'd tell myself to run as well no i'm joking I'm <laughs> um, no i'm joking i, I love the industry I can't. i wouldn't i wouldn't be doing anything else but um and i think really really get to know your market um really know where your market's going um so that you can have earlier tangible conversations because probably for the first three four months um, I was going in, um, a little bit blindsided in, in regards to speaking to, to some great people. And, but they probably thought that, and I did sound probably fairly junior. So just a little bit of research, you know, understanding your market a little bit more. So they're probably the two key things.
0: Nice. So last, last questions for you. So first one, yeah. if you could change the industry, what would you improve? Yeah.
1: Um, I think the key one is be proud of being a recruiter. Yeah, it's I, I used to do it as well, is that I'd be around certain individuals that had, you know, amazing sounding jobs, you know, like stockbrokers or you know, insurance brokers. And I'd say, what, what do you do? Recruitment. And I think at times I used to be a little bit embarrassed about that. And I don't know why. Because if you actually look at the industry and what it and what it supports and what it means is all the good parts. Of course, I know there are some bad parts of, of, of the industry from that side, but I think definitely people be proud of of working in the industry because I think it it adds so much value, not just to the economy, to companies, to businesses, um, from that side. So yeah, definitely don't want don't do what I've done and, and be you know, I'm not I suppose it's just a little bit embarrassed when I was earlier on because a job sounded a little bit Uh, a bit better whatever a bit more interesting but actually you think about what you do as a recruiter day in day out um it's pretty cool
0: yeah next one what what book have you read that has had the biggest impact on you if you don't read
1: could be a podcast you know what that was got my goals the last probably two or three years like really um focusing on reading books like rich dad poor dad by far Mm. In regards you probably hear that a lot, right? But that really impacted um and probably a bit cliche as well, really impacted my relationship with with money, um, and focusing on assets that can provide cash flow um to support the future. Because of course, my you know, I know what I can do with recruitment, but no one can control, for example, the economy and where that's going to be. But if you've got cash flowing assets from that side and using your money um, then hopefully later on in life um, you know that's that you should be fairly set up on that side so yeah that was a a massive massive influence into where I focus my time and, and outside of recruiting as well
0: nice bit of a different one this one what what did you spend your first biggest commission paycheck on
1: Uh, for me myself yeah because I think my wife probably got the first big big um,
0: (laughs) there's always normally sort of not always but sometimes there's a typical sort of memorable Um,
1: thing that you ended up buying um probably yeah probably my um my Range Rover so like um I went out and got it probably about two years in into the business, I'd always dream of having it. It's my dream car. I, I love, I love that like, like Range Rover Sports. It's just uh, ever since, even I was at uni, I used to say to my uni friends and fidget, "I'm going to drive one of them." I used to, like, see it, I thought, oh, I just, you know, to, I'm going to drive one of them, and they used to laugh and say, "Listen, you, you're massively overdrawn. You've got loads of debt. What are you going on about Range Rovers?" And, um, <laughs> yeah, that was that was an amazing feeling, being you know getting into that car for the first time, and um, and I, I'd achieve that. You know, no one else I'd achieved that. And um, yeah, it was great. Amazing. Even though it was a depreciation asset, it was just, you know, one of the things that I'd always wanted early on. You
0: know? Yeah. No, I love that. Last question. And look, this, yeah. this, this may be something that you're sort of, sort of working through now and stuff, but just still interested, I guess. What's the sort of, ult- I typically ask, what's the ultimate goal for your recruitment career? Or you can sort of answer that. Just your career now. What comes up for you? What's the ultimate goal for your career?
1: Giving back one hundred percent. I want to be able to be in a position at some point in my career where I can give advice, offload experiences, what I've done well, what I've not done so well from, um, and having that platform to um, be able to give back to the industry um, in whatever whatever shape or form that is. Um it's definitely
0: given back. Nice. Love that, Dan. I'm 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 sure there's loads more that we could go into, but I thought that was <laughs> brilliant. I think you've been on a great, great journey and um really excited for people to to listen to this. So th- thanks a lot for for coming on the show.
1: No, no worries. Thank you. Anytime, been a
0: pleasure. Well done on making it to the very end of the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I've done my very best to try and level up this podcast that will hopefully mean that you can take even more learnings from these conversations and apply it to your own recruitment career. Like always, if there are any particular topics that you would love me to cover with future guests, then please get in touch with me. The best place to reach me is on LinkedIn. Send me a message. What would you love me to cover with future guests? And if you have enjoyed the podcast, then it would be amazing if you could leave